You're listening to KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. Want to give a warm welcome to the Sports Zoo, our second rendition this winter quarter at our lovely 3 p.m. Tuesday afternoon window. I'm your host, Zach Zaffron, and my co-host, Jacob Nydig. We are here today to discuss a lot of football well in the swing of NFL action, and we're joined by a number of guests ready to give their takes. Jacob, why don't you go ahead and introduce them? Time. And what a time it is in football. New coaching hires happening left and right. The Super Bowl being finalized this past Sunday. It's a time, and we are joined by some lovely guests. Why don't we go ahead and start right from left with just your name, your team, and something that you've been really excited about uh, in football lately. Cruzane, why don't you kick us off? Yeah. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Grzane. Uh My favorite football team is the 49ers. Um, and just uh, was really, really excited about the way their defense played all year. Um, you know, the the main sort of uh, ranking for defense has had them, you know, one at the end of the year. Um, you know, but unfortunately, um, you know, they could only hold up so much on Sunday. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Grzane is a local legend here, graduated from Pali High School. So, a through and through Bay Area fan sitting to his right, coming in at about six seven, a former member of the Stanford football team for a brief period. Grant, why don't you take it away? Yeah, it's so great to be here. Uh, yeah, I'm Grant Womble. Uh My favorite team is the Ravens, but I'm very excited for, for, the, for the Super Bowl. I think it's going to be a great matchup, and I'm excited to be here. Yeah, and last but certainly not least to Grant's right, go ahead and take it away. I'm Henry Siegel. Um, as a Houstonian, I would have to call myself a Texans fan. Heard we got some exciting news today. Um, we got a new coach from San Francisco. Um, I think everyone else here could have a better you know, answer if that's a good or bad thing yet, but <laughs> it's definitely something to look forward to. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so we have people from around the league coming in, talking about a few different teams We've got people that, you know, just ended an agony defeat. We've got people excited about new head coaches. And so let's just go ahead and jump into the NFL playoffs, starting with the wild card. Was there any particular matchup, matchup that stood out to you, Grzane? Uh I think the matchup that stood out to me the most was the Bills and Dolphins. Um, you know, the Dolphins rolled in there with their third-string quarterback. Uh, you know, obviously, Tua, we all saw the, the various concussions he had throughout the year. Um, and then Teddy Bridgewater also went down. Um, you know, they, the Bills started off pretty hot. You know, they went up 17. Um, and then the Dolphins kind of stormed back and, and kept it close all throughout after storming back. Um, and I think that very much opened our eyes to, you know, maybe Buffalo is is beatable. Um, and, and you know, surely enough, you know, we'll get to it. But, you know, the following week, they, they did lose. Yeah. No, absolutely. And so... With that, you know, Skylar Thompson, 18 of 45 with two interceptions, but nonetheless gave the team a chance to win. Grant, what did you think about the way that Thompson performed and, you know, the ability that the Dolphins had to actually win the game, obviously coming up three points short? You know, is that just the way the ball bounced? Is that coaching decisions, just not enough star power in the offense what do you what do you think can be attributed to that i think that game really came down to mike mcdaniel as an offensive coach we saw at the end of the game there they had so many delay game penalties and just not knowing what they were doing 
in a, in a very winnable game. And I feel like if they had just been more organized from top down, then it, it could have had a, a very different result. Yeah, that's a some stark criticism of Mike McDaniel. Many who think is an offensive mastermind and one of the the you know budding faces of the league. I've seen some TikTok videos of him looking like an absolute clown around the practice facility and different things like that. Zach, what did you see in in that game or any other wild card games? Well, honestly, wild card round, my entire attention was on primetime Kirk Cousins. As a Packers fan, oh my gosh, I don't know if there was much better to see than the Giants of all teams taking down the Vikings. Um, You know, you love yourself some primetime Kirk, um, and I I guess I just love to hate, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely, and that was just quite a performance that... Danny Dimes, the quarterback for the Giants, showing off his dual threat ability. Down there on the far end of the table, were you intrigued by any of those matchups yourself, or uh, what do you what did you see in Wild Card fo- Weekend? Um, here's what I will say about last weekend. Um, I really, I was, I've been a Niners fan since I've came to school. Um, just because it's it's the it's like the new home team, right? Um, and I really wanted to see uh, Purdy go all the way. I just thought that would have been like super exciting. I didn't even really start following the team until he started playing. Just became it just because it became a fun story. Well, thinking a couple weeks back, were you at that game versus Seattle or just just the Dallas game? I know I was just at the Dallas game, and then I also went to uh, much earlier in the season against Kansas City. Got you, got you. Yeah, that is actually interesting because. I know myself speaking, Grant and Grzane here were all at both of those weekends as well, including the Cowboys game. So we have four people in studio that attended at least one playoff game this season. That really is why the sports zoo is unmatched when it comes to sports talk show. So few people are doing it like we are here. And yeah, that matchup, Cowboys-Niners, what a game it was. But... Really, there were so many storylines, starting back to their matchup at the end of last year. The refs obviously trying to spot the ball after a Dak Prescott scramble, or QB draw, I should say. Refs don't get it spotted in time. Cowboys lose. And this year, a rematch. It almost feels like you know a budding rivalry is being reignited. You're saying, as a 49ers fan... You know, many of your rivalries in recent years have come out of the division. The Cowboys, a more long-term foe. What do you have to say about this new relationship with America's team? Yeah, um, yeah, like you pointed out, sort of all throughout the 2010s, uh, their sort of main rival was Seattle. Um, they had a, you know a bunch of games, MC Championship, that you know came down to one final throw. But uh, yeah, now I guess now in the in the in the 20s. Um, we've now seen the Niners and Cowboys playing back-to-back years, um, and I think it's always great. Um, you know, the the atmosphere, I was at the Niners-Cowboys, and the atmosphere was incredible. Um, you know, obviously, mostly Niners fans, but, you know, you, you could see the, 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 the Cowboys fans in there. You know, when the Niners were on third down, the Cowboys, you know, cheering and trying to, you know, distract the quarterback. Um, so, yeah, I think, um, you know, both fans travel really, really well, um, and you know, one was in Jerry's World, one was in in Santa Clara, and uh, just you know, great atmosphere, great games, um, and you know, fortunately, my team has been able to come up on top in both. Yeah, Henry, bouncing over to you, 
a divisional rival, or not a divisional, a conference rivalry between the Cowboys and 49ers. As someone, you know, who came in as a more recent fan of the 49ers, just describe the atmosphere that, that was present at that game. It was it was definitely it took like an hour to get into the stadium just because you know the the tailgating almost like went out of Santa Clara it was like so much going on um, I was a little bit drawn because from Texas I almost wanted to root for the Texas team but it's a bit sacrilege for people from Houston to vote for the Cowboys <laughs> even though it's Texas um, but there were a lot of very rowdy Texas fans sitting near me that were like the loudest people in the whole section until the second half. And then it was like crickets uh, where they were sitting. Um, very, very good game. I think both fans brought it, honestly. I guess the 49ers brought it more. Um, also, this is kind of random, but does anyone know how they came to be called America's team? I don't. That is a great question. That it seems like nobody in studio knows the answer to. If you know the answer, feel free to tweet us, call us in, and we will put you on air next week, give you some time. But yeah, that is a great question. Um, I do know that they're by far one of the most successful franchises in terms of just revenue and, and stuff like that. So I don't know if that's attributed, but yeah. Highest valuation team in, I think, all of American sports. So if you do have an answer, be sure to call in to 855-723-9010. Again, that's 855-723-9010. We would love to hear what your takes are on why America's team uh, continues to fall a little bit short each and every year. Yeah, absolute harsh words there by Zach, but really stinging true now. Bouncing over to you, Grant, as you know, someone who came in as a Ravens fan, has rooted a little bit for the Eagles this year as well. You're kind of coming in with the potential ties to the 49ers that Henry mentioned being here at Stanford. Also, you know, the Cowboys are one of the most polarizing teams. Who are you rooting for? And then more broadly, as, you know, a fan of just the game of football, what what were some of the highlights that you were surprised by in that game? Yeah, I was certainly always rooting against the Cowboys. They have been a team that I've loathed my entire life, so it was an easy choice for me to uh, pick the hometown team here and go against the Cowboys. But that that was a very exciting game with a great atmosphere, and it was it was a very fun experience. Uh, I'm glad the 49ers won, so I didn't have to deal with uh, you, Jacob, being very annoying for the next <laughs> week or so. Yeah, yeah. As a as a Cowboys fan, you know there was a lot of stakes on the game. Revenge for last year. You know, making sure that people here in the Bay Area know that that there is another champion coming up soon. Zach, being from the Bay Area yourself, what do you think the energy surrounding this team has been throughout the year? I don't know. It's tough. When, when Henry, you're talking about the environment at Levi Stadium, you know, mentioning it's the Cowboys fans that are loud. I just think it is a testament to the kind of change in culture in viewership at least in person um you know I'm, I'm much more of a basketball fan than football fan i've seen this phenomenon in the later years at oracle arena you have this shift in the warriors fan base towards catering towards a corporate culture as you see that uptick in ticket prices only a select few can even afford to go to these games games in santa clara that's obviously even more pronounced obviously once the warriors went to chase center as well san francisco does that too but nfl tickets skyrocketing and i think 
you know, not to say that the people who can go to these games aren't as rowdy, but I think that the backing of the Niners, you see it more so in a community aspect rather than in at those games. Um, but it's it's been vibrant. You see people wearing the red and gold. You see people talking about Brock Purdy. You see people talking about the Super Bowl. There's just kind of this ignited excitement around football once again and especially coming here where there is a lot of Bay Area kids it's 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 fun to talk football because I'll tell you Stanford football does not do it for us yeah no absolutely and that ticket pricing is definitely one that was you know one of the extremes I believe this matchup between the Cowboys and the 49ers was the highest priced divisional playoff game in the history of the sport so definitely was one that was really inaccessible for a majority of Americans, which, you know, is just some would chalk up to being part of the game. Others think there's stuff that the league could do. Either way was still, you know, just a really fun place to be. And, you know, with the 49ers, I think that midseason trade for Christian McCaffrey is one that really brought a lot of Stanford people into NFL football and specifically with the 49ers given his, you know, return back to the Bay Area. Grzane, what do you think that changed less from a fan perspective and more from a strategic perspective on the 49ers offense? Yeah, um, I think, you know, everyone knows Kyle Shanahan is sort of this offensive guru, um, and he did a lot of lot of different things with Debo Samuel uh, last year. You know, putting them in the backfield, you know, giving them jet sweeps, you know, and also sending them out wide. Um, and I think with Christian McCaffrey coming in, it gave them another weapon of that type where you could put him in the slot. You could put him in the backfield. He could do many, many things. He even threw for a touchdown against the Rams. Um, so I think, you know, when you have guys like Debo and Christian McCaffrey on the same team, it really, you know, expands what you can do and, and you can do it well. Um, you know, I think he had 17 total touchdowns, you know, and, and, you know, obviously he's known as an all purpose yard type of guy because he's a great pass catcher as well as a great rusher. Um, and so I think he was really able to, you know, elevate that offense to a level, you know, it was already at a, you know, sort of elite level, many would say as, you know, Debo's an all pro, George Kittle was an all pro and then adding Christian McCaffrey, another all pro, um, you know, really elevated them even more. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, he was someone that at Stanford did a little bit of everything. He received, he returned kicks, he ran the ball. That type of offensive player is very desirable in today's modern game. Someone that somewhat resembles a lot of the ability to kind of transcend player norms is Lamar Jackson, given his ability to run the ball. Grant, do you think that adding a player with versatility is just always a benefit, or do you think it kind of depends on the offense, on the scheme? Um, you know, is is it required the play caller being able to bring them in, or can a star like Lamar and Christian, who has so much versatility, get it done in any offense, no matter who's calling the plays? Yeah, I, I think in the modern NFL, more players are becoming more similar in their skill sets. Like we see lots of well, wide receivers these days also carrying the ball very regularly and many, many quarterbacks running on a regular basis. Like you see Jalen Hurts in the, in the Super Bowl now. He's going to be very active with his legs, and that has taken their offense to the next level. So, yeah, I think it's very valuable to be versatile, 
But also, I, I do think there are certain situations where players can be better suited with a certain skill set, and then their offense can be designed around them very well. So I think it's a balancing act between going crazy with wild formations and also just doing what you can do the best. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the Cowboys, one of the league's better offenses at various points over the last four years, getting rid of their offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore, the Boise State product, he has now joined the Chargers. So we'll definitely be an interesting dynamic down in Southern California with Justin Herbert, Kellen Moore teaming up. Moving on to like the other side of the divisional series, obviously the Eagles dominate the Giants, but the Jaguars and Chiefs. Henry, what did you see out of that matchup between Trevor Lawrence, you know, one of the up and coming stars at the QB position and Patrick Mahomes, someone that's already submitted himself as the best in the league, if or one of the best, I should say. Yeah, I will say I feel like the story throughout the playoffs is like the age of the quarterbacks. And it is it is kind of, you know, funny to think about that. Like most of the quarterbacks in, in the playoffs were like, you know, not more than three or four years older than everyone in this room. Um, Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. You're aging us here. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I think that was just an interesting sh- story. Maybe it's just a shift from like the older regime of, you know, Brady, Manning, and them to, like, it's like the next generation. Um, I feel like, you know, you don't you don't read about, you know, like, like this is the new regime of, of star power in the NFL, um, and it, it's kind of fun to see. 100%. I guess, why don't I throw that right back at you? Out of Burrow, Mahomes, um, obviously now Lawrence. Josh you know, Allen, probably. Josh Allen, for sure. I'm going to throw Lamar in there. Yeah, I mean, you can make the case... Um, why not Purdy, right? Uh, who who are you most excited to see? And definitely Herbert. Got to give the tip to Herbert. I, I guess every Throw everybody in there. Throw everybody Ari in there. Ari Patu, he's in there too. <laughs> <laughs> who, 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 who are you looking forward to over the next decade? No, I think Purdy's the most exciting just because of the mystery relevant story. You know, everyone else was kind of expected to be great. Like, you know, I knew Trevor Lawrence, you know, when he was in college. You know, I heard of everyone else. Um, and... But Purdy, like, no one had heard his name two months ago. Well, are, why don't I ask the other side of the room? Are we going to see Purdy in the future? You know, obviously he's dealing with that elbow injury, which is going to sideline him for six months. But um, even if he is healthy, you've got Trey Lance. You've got Jimmy Garoppolo. Well, depending on contract. <laughs> um, is Purdy the man of the future? Uh yeah, well, you mentioned Jimmy Garoppolo. I think Jimmy Garoppolo will probably be moving on from the Niners, and I think the Niners are also probably moving on from him. Um, you know, just like you mentioned, they have two other young quarterbacks. Um, yeah, you mentioned Purdy's injury, right? Tore UCL. Um, we see that a lot in baseball with pitchers. Um, so he's going to have to get Tommy John. Um, you know, people say six months, but it could very much will be a year. Um, and so if that's the case, then sort of Trey Lance is the, you know, de facto quarterback for them. Um, you know, unfortunately for the Niners, um, there have only ever been two quarterbacks to, you know, ever tear their UCL and require Tommy John. And unfortunately, both have played for the Niners, <laughs> Nick Mullins, uh, I think like four or five years ago, and, and now Brock Purdy. Um, and, you know, I think as soon as, you know, Brock Purdy started winning a lot of games, you know, the question immediately came up of, you know, who is it going to be, Lance or Purdy? Um, I don't, I honestly don't think we've seen enough of Lance to, you know, before the injury, you know, decide one or the other. You know, but I think now with the injury, it sort of you know cements Lance in there. He announced today uh, he'll be fully cleared in four weeks, 
and fully available for um, you know all the off-season workouts and stuff, and, and to go into the year fully healthy. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing Trey Lance. I you know I had called him last year the the front runner for MVP. <laughs> um, so maybe you know this year again. <laughs> yeah, injury uh, no injury free. You know who could be from the perspective of a general manager. You know Brock Purdy's value has absolutely skyrocketed, right? Do you think that the 49ers are best served to kind of maximize what value he could get via trade and, you know, maybe getting uh, some of those picks back that they got rid of to get McCaffrey or to get Lance? Maybe they get uh, another player in return. Or do you think you keep him on the roster because he could be kind of a potential game-changing factor in years to come? Yeah, I think you got to keep both. Um the Niners have run into so much trouble with with quarterback sort of their quarterback staying healthy. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo tore his ACL in his second year with the Niners, second full or first full year with the Niners, second year with the Niners. Um, I mentioned Nick Mullins. Um, you know, Garoppolo. You know, had the shoulder injury and in the and in, in the and I think it was his finger too last year. Um, and then this year, you know, lost four quarterbacks. Um, and so I think just you know, given their luck or I guess unluckiness. Um, it, w- it would be best suited for them to keep both. Yeah, and so kind of circling back to Zach's question from a few minutes ago, Grant, who are you taking if you're starting an NFL team at the quarterback position right now? I think I'd probably take Trevor Lawrence. He's the the youngest out of the guys, and he has shown that tremendous upside. Um, obviously, it'd be hard to overlook Patrick Mahomes just because he has been so fantastic, but... Like 10 years from now, I think Trevor Lawrence will be healthier and in better shape. So I'd probably take him moving forward. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm just, that surprises me, to be quite frank. Um, Maybe it's the fact I never really liked him at Clemson. You know, (laughs) I love to see a little bit of a mix up in the college football playoff. Lawrence not really helping me out there. Um, But that surprises me. I mean, you did you see huge leaps from him this year? Because I certainly feel like last year, maybe that would not have been the answer. Yeah, I, I definitely think this year changed my mind a lot on him because obviously he was a first overall pick on a team that had two first overall picks in a row. So he walked into a situation where he, he had a lot of trouble and a coach change. And now with Doug Peterson, he's finally seeming to get in a groove. And I like what I'm seeing so far. And we saw this past week in the divisional round that someone – can do the same job Mahomes is doing and lead a 95-yard touchdown drive in the divisional <laughs> round. So maybe Mahomes isn't all that guy. So I don't know. There's, yeah. there's some doubt in my mind. Yeah, and I think too, right, Grant mentioned last year, uh, Urban Meyer was there and it was just a complete dumpster fire. <laughs> um, you know, he got fired midseason, didn't make it the whole year. Um, he was, you know, kicking his kickers in the leg. He was uh, just sort of, it seemed like he wasn't even developing, you know, Trevor Lawrence at all. Um, so I, you know, I agree with Grant that you know he really made a big leap with with Doug Peterson. Um, so yeah, and I think the thing about Lawrence is they trusted him through the struggles. I think too often, as of late, we've seen these young quarterbacks get thrown in with high pressure situations, and if the results don't come immediately, teams are ready to move on. I think the only other example I can really think of of people trusting someone is maybe. Um, Justin Fields out in Chicago you know he made some huge leaps this year obviously Chicago still not where they want to be I don't know if they ever will be uh, especially when they're in a division with the Green Bay Packers you know one of the best franchises of all the sports history um, but as I digress um, it's interesting because then I think back to the Niners Lance 
I got to be honest, not impressive in his showings early on. And if they decide to move forward with him, um, especially with Purdy sidelined, how much time do you give the guy, especially after investing so much in that pick? Yeah, and I mean, I think before we jump into that, another prime example is Zach Wilson. Like, look at the dramas Mm -hmm. happening up in the Northeast with him where they trade up for him and after uh, some amazing pro day workouts, but the pressure on these guys when they can't adjust to to the speed of the game, to the new system, puts them in a position where you're looking at the end of their second season wondering if it was one of the worst decisions of all time, you know? I think, too, the the patience with Lawrence came that a lot of people also realized he didn't have much around him. Um, And then this year, you know, the Jaguars went out and got Christian Kirk. A lot of people were like, this guy is way, way overpaid, and he had a phenomenal year. They got Evan Ingram after he bounced around a little bit in in the preseason, and and he also had a phenomenal year. So I think, too, a lot of people might point to Zach Wilson and say, like, look at, you know, these weapons that he's had, like Garrett Wilson, some other, you know, EJ, uh, EJ Moore, I think is his name, Elijah Moore. Um and and not really being Bruce able Law as well too at the yeah, running back position not being able to to sort of you know do much with with those weapons that that he's been given yeah you know there are also some teams that have trusted quarterbacks that I just don't understand as well Davis Mills former Stanford product getting so much playing time down in Houston Henry what do you have to say about that decision to give someone you know who seemingly is not the answer the the keys to the franchise you know they didn't have the best quarterback situation before that either so they've they've kind of been been troubled ever since i can remember um you know i remember when i the when i was the biggest fan of the texans was probably like you know 2012 to 2014 when it, that was probably i think maybe their best year i think they were eight and four that year or not i don't know they that was probably their best year I can remember, and it was like Matt Schaub. Oh yeah, the glory days with right. Arian Foster, Arian Foster, yeah. Foster Andre Johnson. Yeah. I think DeAndre Hopkins came the next year, and then after that, it was pretty much a new quarterback every year. It was like Ryan Fitzpatrick, it was some other guy I can't remember, and then it was Deshaun Watson for a few years. And so they have had their quarterback troubles. Um, that's that's the least I could say about that. Well, as the Houstonian, a lot of mock drafts as a late... Well, what do I will say on Mills, certainly biased here as a Stanford fan as well. I think he's done a heck of a job with what he's been given, and he's been producing. And I think he's the opposite example of not a lot of expectations and superseding them. But obviously, if you're winning a Super Bowl, it's hard to say you can have Mills at the forefront of that franchise going all the way to the championship game. But Bryce Young, Texans... They trading up, they picking him, or what's the deal as a Houston fan, or the outlook at least, the hope? You know, I'm not sure. I'm not in the talk as much anymore. It used to be what my friends would talk about a lot at school, um, but I have noticed just in the past few years that they kind of lost a lot of their, I guess, like star power or intrigue. Like J.J. Watt used to be, he used to be the guy. Mm-hmm. He was the guy in Houston. He was in all the supermarket commercials. You know. He, like, no, nobody disliked him. He was the face of the team. And then when he left, and then, you know, Andre Johnson used to be, like, the guy as well. And then they don't really have kind of the star power that they used to as much. Yeah, no, absolutely. I've seen some interesting discussions now with NIL of whether Bryce Young is best served going to the Texans or staying at Alabama. They've projected his NIL deals roughly around $4 million Per year, he's got deals with Nissan, Dr. Pepper, Beats, Celsius. 
you name it, he's got a deal. And so if you were in his shoes, you know, you're going to Houston, Texas, which is, I believe, many would say one of the better cities to to be in as an NFL player, but you're coming into a franchise that has really struggled. Are you staying at Alabama for another year? Let's just go around the room. Let's start with you, Zach, and what would you do if you're Bryce Young Zaffron? Take it from someone who has an Andre Johnson Texans jersey in their closet. Have I ever worn it? No. Do I know how I got it? No. But uh, I think it's a testament to my expertise in the Houston area. Um, when you're the number one overall pick, consensus number one overall pick, you got to go. You got to go. I think uh, without naming names, maybe we've seen examples of Stanford athletes within the last year that should have declared and didn't. An extra year in college uh, isn't going to help you. Thinking years back, I'm thinking Matt Barkley should have declared way back when extra year didn't help, got drafted to the Eagles there, went his career. Obviously, Bryce Young is a generational talent. That being said, the team surrounded around him at Alabama um, certainly helps with that. And as that program, I don't want to say has been on the downtrend, but maybe has become overrun by the Georgias, um, the Ohio States, we don't know how much more talent can mask perhaps his shortcomings while he's at the peak of his college career. I think it's best for him to definitely go ahead and enter that draft. Henry, uh, as a Houston fan, what do you what would you do, and what do you hope he does? You know, also as someone with an Andre Johnson jersey in my closet, <laughs> I would I would say the move is to go to Houston. I mean, you don't want to wait for you know lightning to strike twice. He's he's kind of clearly um, on the uphill and. Like, yes, it could be interesting, and he could make some money, um, but he'll obviously, you know, continue that um, if, you know, he can walk the walk in Houston. So it's it's not like he'll, in the long term, be missing out on anything. Yeah, we to avoid beating a dead horse, do either of you two disagree and think he should stay at Alabama? No, I think he should go. All right, well, I guess I'm the lone dissenter here. I would absolutely not go play for the Houston Texans. That <laughs> franchise is one I would try to stay as far away from as possible. Another year under Coach Saban in Tuscaloosa living as a king, to me, is just way better than being an NFL rookie in that, that organization. Jacob, why don't you go ahead and remind us where you're from? Uh, Austin, Texas, go Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, definitely an interesting Discussion, nonetheless, maybe not for Bryce Young, where it seems like there's a, ma- a majority consensus, but you know some of these second, third, fourth round picks, where it's not as easy to see well where they'll fit in. NIL really does kind of pose uh, a new type of decision that has to be made for these players. Back to the postseason, though, these past two games. Chiefs, Bengals, Eagles, Niners, Grizzane, without putting it all on injuries, what went wrong? Uh, Yep, you can see he was already prepared with the excuses. (laughs) I think, yeah, just from the beginning, uh, you know, watching the games, it seems like nothing was going right for them. Um, You know, the missed challenge by Shanahan, you know, Devonta Smith obviously didn't catch the ball, and then Shanahan doesn't throw the flag. Um, you know, in the next drive, obviously, then that's when Purdy went down. Um, you know, and then the following drive, uh, you know, the 
the sort of the the Eagles had had were on offense and the Niners would get him to a third and long. It seemed like every time, and then a flag holding, uh, illegal hands to the face, you know, whatever it may be, and it would just give them more and more opportunity. Um, I think with like two minutes to go, the game was still seven. Uh, two minutes ago in the first half, the game was still seven seven. You know, so the Niners are very much hanging in there. Um, at least, at least their defense was. I can't can't speak too much about their offense and, and Josh Johnson, but you know they were very much hanging in there. And I think just you know when when Josh Johnson you know fumbled that snap, um, and then within two minutes made it from a seven seven game to a twenty one seven game. Um, you know, I think that really you know demoralized that team and sort of sucked the, sucked the life out of them. Yeah, hundred percent. Earlier we were talking about like you have these athletes that are so talented, especially the skill positions and, you know, having schemes that cater to that. I was about to say Stanford. The 49ers have so much talent, thinking of Debo, thinking of Christian McCaffrey, but I think that last weekend's game showed you can have so much talent, but there's a pivotal piece, and if you're missing that quarterback position, you can only do so much, especially, I mean, you can't throw the ball. What are you going to do? Exactly. Like if the defense knows you're going to run it every time, you know, there goes your your movement of the ball. So yeah, though you know you got Trent Williams, you've got Usechek and Christian McCaffrey. You got to be able to run the. I don't care who is lining up against you. If you've got those three, you should be able to get three, four, five yards a carry. At least in my opinion, because those guys are premier run blockers in in the National Football League. And I think you just kind of see that the Eagles. Front seven is is actually relatively stout. You know they led the league in sacks, but don't get a ton of credit. Grant, what do you think is the reason for you know national media sleeping on that Eagles front seven a little bit? Well, I think here in the last few weeks we've been seeing more and more credit get given to them as the first team in NFL history, I believe, to have four players with more than ten sacks in a season. Just an outstanding feat. That's a testament to like the entire depth of their of their defensive line. And then also adding people like Nedamakang Sue just to like have a an even more solid rotation. They're a very tough team to to play against. And we saw that the, the Chiefs this past week having trouble running the ball even against the Bengals. So it's gonna it might be a long day for the Chiefs uh and two Sundays from now trying to move the ball at all on the ground. Yeah. No, absolutely for those of you that watched the game start to finish, you know, Grizane touched on the fact that it was relatively close for most, most, much of the game. When was the point where you realized, wow, this is this is the end? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, first with the you know Josh Johnson not even being able to you know catch a snap. Um, and then, you know, he sort of pulled the Cab Newton, too, and didn't even, you know, die for the ball. He, like, he was the only guy in the area, and I think Hassan Reddick actually picked it up, who, you know, had a great game. Um, so I think that went into it. Um, and then I, I think, too, finally, when, you know, when he went finally went down with, with the concussion, um, you know, Purdy has to come in. They are saying, you know, McCaffrey might come in at quarterback. He did throw a pass and just completely airmail it. But, yeah, I think once, once Josh Johnson went down um, – you know, like I said, you, they were only able to run the ball, and and as a defense, if you know they're just going to run the ball, then you know you can just send the kitchen sink. And yeah, no, my phone was ringing off the hook when Johnson went down. They remembered my intramural days and <laughs> were trying to trying to fly me to Philadelphia, but you know, a little bit too late. <clears throat> Zach, what do you think is kind of the the strength of this Eagles team that is headed? 
to play against the Chiefs in the Super Bowl? I mean, come on, it's got to be Jalen Hurts. Man in the MVP conversation for a reason. Um, I think the Eagles saw some ups and downs as he was out with that injury, and once he's come back, I mean, they've just resurged, shown why they were that high seed, why they led the standings all season long. That prolific offense, ranking first in so many categories, is going to be the name of the game for them in this upcoming game. Um, Like you said, the front seven, I certainly have not given enough credit throughout the year. The fact that they have multiple double-digit sack recorders is remarkable. Um, But the question is, can you get it done on the biggest stage? Super Bowl jitters are certainly real. Jalen Hurts, new to this. Um, you know, he, I mean, he's been on the big stage being in that Alabama and Oklahoma position, but the Super Bowl is a whole other animal. And how he responds to those pressures is going to determine whether Philly gets another Super Bowl or not. Absolutely. Henry, bouncing to you, outside of Jalen Hurts, they've got a absolute arsenal of offensive weapons. A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, the tight end. Who do you look at as you know being a real pivotal person in, in this final game of the NFL regular season? I'm going to be totally honest. I've been thinking about something else the past few minutes. Hit us with it. Give it to us. America's team. Thing. It's, it's a bit of a callback. Uh, Jamie pulled it up in the studio for us. But it seems like so the reason was that the GM of the Cowboys in the 60s and 70s used to be an executive at CBS. Okay. So he was like very good at you know getting them media attention. They were on TV all the time. And this was like the national representation of Texas in the 60s and 70s. Mm. And there was a, like an NFL Films documentary in the 70s where a sports broadcaster said something along the lines of, oh, they were on TV as much as the presidents. You know, it was, this was America's team. So I'm I'm really glad that this wasn't originated from the Cowboys because then I would like really hate them if if they made up that name for themselves. But it's kind of an interesting story. Yeah, no, that is definitely a huge shout out to Jamie, one of our interns in studio for getting us that info. They are always working so hard behind the scenes to make sure that we come out crystal clear on air. Back to the original question posed, who are you looking at as a threat for the uh for the Eagles' offense. I think that had to have been a signal to Henry saying Dallas Goddard, right? I mean, the Cowboys having Dalton Schultz, another great Stanford tight end, and then, you know, Dallas, that tight end. I've seen so many parlays laid down for first touchdown Dallas Goddard. It's unreal, <laughs> yeah. okay? And Jalen Hurts loves his tight ends. Yeah, no, absolutely. Grant and Grzane, is there anyone special that you are you think could be a black horse candidate as pivotal player in, in this Super Bowl? Uh, I'm just excited to see A.J. Brown on the biggest stage. He's been a guy that's kind of been plagued by quarterback issues with Ryan Tannehill and even then was an outstanding receiver. So I'm excited to see him in a top-tier offense with a great quarterback. And and we've seen this year how many great games he's had. So I'm just excited to see how it translates against the, the Chiefs' defense. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the Chiefs' offense also won with so many different ways to get it done. They lose Tyreek Hill and are still in the Super Bowl. What an absolute masterclass by that offensive coaching staff and offensive players. You know, the key is obviously Patrick Mahomes. Travis Kelsey also playing a huge role. Grzane, what has surprised you about the lack of, you know, any negative 
plays or just overall um, worse performance, even without one of the best wide receivers in the game. Yeah, um, I think you know most importantly this year they were able to find a gem in Isaiah Pacheco. Um, you know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire sort of came in as a starter, and you know Pacheco, I think sixth or seventh rounder. I can't can't quite remember. Yeah, seventh rounder. Seventh rounder. Um, and he you know sort of seemingly you know took over that that starting role at running back, and, and he's been great for them. Um, and I think you know the. They have a lot of multitude of receivers. They have Juju Smith. They have MVS, um, Nico Hardman, and none of them really like are flashy and, and you know stand out to you um, like, like a Tyreek Hill. But I think you know th- that collective unit has not been able to uh, replicate what Tyreek Hill did. But I think do enough, um, you know, to sort of help that team out. And, and then you mentioned Travis Kelsey too, right? Um, I think in the divisional round, you know, he broke the record for most touches by most catches by a tight end. Um, and he continues to be phenomenal, sort of game after game, year after year. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Going around Super Bowl predictions with the score, we're putting you on the spot first, Grant. Lead us off. Eagles, Chiefs, in two weeks. What do you got? I'm definitely going for the Eagles. Uh, I think they just have the, the best roster in the league right now, top to bottom. We see a fantastic offensive line, defensive line. We know games are one of the trenches. They've been able to move the ball at will versus every team. So I doubt that the Chiefs will be able to hold them under 35 or so. So I'm going to say final score, 38-27. 38-27. Over to you, Houston man. What do you got for us? You know, I'm going Philadelphia just because of the rowdiness of the fans. And I think it's going to be 24-7. Uh, that's the score. Not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I, think it, I think it could go either way, though. Um, you know, I think they really put a showing on um, against the Niners, as much as I hate to say it. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it could go either way, though. Mahomes seven points. I think two extra weeks for his ankle. We get classic Mahomes. Obviously, that front seven pressure is going to be tough, especially if he tweaks it. Um, it's hard to bet against the guy. I used to not like him. He's he's changed me uh, from a hater to a lover somehow, some way. I've got the Chiefs in this one, thirty-one to 20 okay opening it up i uh right now the line is spread eagles minus 2.5 i i think it's actually going to be a relatively competitive game but i think the chiefs get it done i'm gonna go with 30 to 24 chiefs chiefs come out ahead no one uh picked the score got me yeah, <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, I think you know, uh, kind of agree with Grant. I think the Eagles are, are sort of better top to bottom. Uh, you know, if you look at their offenses, and let's just say they're both even, I think the Eagles' defense clears um, the Chiefs' defense, um, and so I think you know the the Eagles are going to put on a show, drop forty one points, um, and and I think the the Chiefs will be will have twenty eight. So I think forty one twenty eight is my 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 prediction. Forty one points. All right. In that case, who are the most pivotal players grant i know you said aj brown is going to be that guy but who is the standout performer your super bowl mvp prediction 
Well, in my scenario, obviously, where they're scoring 38 points, it's probably going to end up being Jalen Hurts. I assume he'll have over 300 in the air, probably 50-plus on the ground, including some p- pivotal conversions on fourth, down, f- fourth and one, third and one. Mm-hmm. We see he's been fantastic all year in the, in the QB sneak, and now they even have some plays off of that that to even further trick defenses. So it's hard to see him not winning it, it in my ideal game. 100%, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. We are going to go ahead and wrap up this football segment. A huge thanks to our guests for joining on. want to give you a chance to give any shout-outs to people listening here locally, parents back home, or just anywhere. Anyone special listening for y'all three? Thanks to all the listeners. Thanks to Jamie for helping us out. Um, Thanks to Zach and Jacob for the great show. Yep, so same for me. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. We are we'll be back after this brief music break. We've got about 15 minutes here on KZSU 90.1 the Sports Zoo. We'll be right back after this. Helping people with different political views, beliefs, and experiences connect through conversation, and it feels good. This conversation gives me hope. It gives me a lot of hope, too. Take a step toward bringing our country and your community together. Start a conversation at lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council. KZSU Stanford. Welcome back to KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. Appreciate all of our fans across the country, across the globe, tuning in on kzsu.stanford.edu. And of course, our loyal listeners, wherever you might be driving or holding your handheld stereo on 90.1 FM. This is the Sports Zoo hosted by Zach Zaffron and Jacob Neidig. We've been talking football for quite some time today, but how about we transition right back here to On the Farm? A whole lot happening, specifically on the hardwood. Jacob, what's been going on? Yeah, what a time at Maples Pavilion. It has been one of the disappointments of the past few months. The Stanford men's basketball team going on an absolute crazy four-game win streak. They have been putting together quality performances over the last few weeks, most recently with a huge victory over our rivals across the Bay. This was a game that was electric throughout for Stanford fans. You had the student section involved. You had the alumni and the donors involved. You had the bench involved. You name it, they were involved. And it really kind of showed... You know, maybe there is some reason for optimism with this program, especially because of the turnaround. Losing by 22 to Cal on January 6th to now beating them 75 to 46. That's a 50-point turnaround, folks, 
in just over just under four weeks, we've had people on talking about his job. We've had people talking about his recruiting, but we haven't had people talking about his resilience. Gerard Haas is trying to save his job. <laughs> what do we think about his performance over the last four games, and has he done enough to keep the head coaching title? I personally believe he has not done enough. Um, I think you know he's had a couple five stars now over the last couple of years, um, and you know he seemingly they just can't really seem to get over the hump. Um, I think you know they had they they they've had Eric Ingram now for the second year, um, and I just don't know that he's taken a step up, step forward, um, and and you know I think that that you know can be put on Gerard Haas. Um, I I just don't personally see a scenario where he can return. I think the only argument for him to return is you know they don't want to lose those two five stars they have coming in next year. Uh, uh, Andre Stoyakovich and 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 the dude from Overtime Elite. I'm blanking on his Andy name. Carlisle. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I personally think you know it's time to go for him. Um, maybe looking towards potential replacements, I would probably look um, towards former Stanford basketball players. You know, one that that comes to mind is is Mark Mulder. Um, he uh, you know played at Stanford, um, was on the Lakers. You know, three peated with Shaq and Kobe, and and I think he coaches at Utah Valley. Um, and another one would be Jaron Collins. Uh, you know, again another former Stanford player. Um, was on the Warriors, uh, was an assistant to Steve Kerr for a very, very long time. Um, you know, won three championships with them. I think he brings a lot of that type of experience. Um, and so those would be, you know, two guys on, on my radar that I would, you know, be stoked for Stanford to get. Before we start hiring people, <laughs> let's get the opposing opinion. You know, Zach, what do you think? Is Has he done enough? Four games, these, the games you said he needed to win, he's won them. What are you seeing right now? It's it's crazy how far we've come. And, and, and it's interesting to me. I feel like there's a little spark of optimism behind your voice for Jared Haas. And I don't know if it's because I'm hungry or not, but I'm going to take the opposite view. I've been a fan of Jared Haas for so long, and I just still don't think that he will be returning Obviously, a 29-point win against Cal. I love it. Uh, you love the student turnout. I caught you guys up in the stands because the student section was completely filled. Um, that being said, guys, Cal is 3-18. and One of those three wins coming against Stanford at home. A good win there, I guess. I was I was very happy to see. I thought Issa Silva played some of his best basketball. I thought Harrison Ingram looked as confident as he has since his first three games of college. But then I look back to Chicago State on Wednesday, the other game since our last episode. We were down by 12 with as many minutes to go in the game to a team that is not even in a conference after they got booted out of the whack. The conference is called the WAC, okay? Chicago <laughs> State basically came in here, shot the heck out of the ball. We could not stop them. We also could not score against them for long periods of time. You look at the quality of these wins. I, I like to say a win is a win, but against a Chicago State, against a 3-18 and 18 Cal, he's done enough to stay afloat for the rest of the year. But I don't know about much longer after that. Uh, Jacob was alluding to kind of this four or five game stretch against the Washington and Oregon schools and then ultimately Cal I thought this would be the determinant of whether or not he sticks around for the rest of the season a midseason firing could have been in the works 
but that win against Cal, let, let, let's give him at least a life jacket for now. Yeah, I mean, whenever we rip off this 10-game win streak to finish <laughs> out the season, make the NCAA tournament, I'll be first in line to get Coach Haas' autograph. No, I. Uh, it's, it's fun being a supporter of the team instead of a hater. You know, and also whenever you've got players like Roy Yuan, the walk-on Bay Area legend, getting some minutes, jacking up threes in a 30-piece against our rivals, I'm just going to keep drinking the Kool-Aid until we <laughs> until the next game, and I'm, I'm forced to come back to reality. You know, in that game against Cal, though, you kind of touched on the fact that maybe this is still just a low-quality opponent that we win, but... Maybe this is a turning point for some of our players. You know, Harrison Ingram looks a little bit more comfortable. Grant, what do you think this team needs to do to maybe not win the rest of the games, but just stay competitive? Is it on the offensive end, the defensive end? Who do you need to to really see taking that jump in the last 10 games of the season? Yeah, I think they they should just stay confident on the offensive side because like they played very a lot better than I expected on the defensive side. So just maintaining what they have on defense, but then build, building on their offense would put them in a very good spot for the rest of the season. Yeah, and and on that offensive end, you know, you've got the Jones brothers. They're not brothers, but they <laughs> they could be related maybe somewhere down the line. You've got Harrison Ingram, Grzane, Who are you looking at? to lead this team in the, the closing stretch. Yeah, I think you alluded, alluded to it a little earlier, Issa Silva. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, he can very much be that spark off the bench that, you know, that they, they, they can, you know, rally off of. Um, I think, you know, sometimes they, they kind of get into cold the cold starts, and, and if he can come off the bench and, you know, jack up threes like he was, posterizing <laughs> defenders, you know, I think he can, you know, really make a difference. You know, if he's not scoring, distributing, just something to give that team life um, in that second unit. Yeah, absolutely. Ball handling definitely been a point of contention amongst the team. Issa Silva, definitely someone that had a high-quality performance against Cal came in off the bench, gave him 15 minutes, 8 points. He had 2 rebounds and also had an assist. But the player that I think I have really been impressed with, Maxime Reynaud, the leading scorer against Cal with 15 points, second in minutes with 29. He also had 9 rebounds, 3 of which came on the offensive glass. He came in and performed in front of the home crowd this week. Zach, what did you see from him down um, in the post this week? I mean, Reno has been impressive, not just in that last game, but over the last five games, really. Um, he's had double-digit scoring performances in four of the last five, shooting a very good percentage in each of them, specifically against Cal and Chicago State this last week. Um, I've just liked the fact that, I mean, he's a unicorn. Against Chicago State, the size difference was there. Chicago State had no one over 6'9", and of course, Reynaud, 7'1", ball handling skills, shoots the jumper, gets those rebounds, really fights and battles. He has the versatility that allows Stanford to do whatever it is against any opponent, Um, and he shows up when it matters most. No, absolutely, and so looking ahead, the road trip to the Mountain Schools, tomorrow playing, or I should say Thursday, playing against Utah in Salt Lake City, Sunday, February 5th at Colorado in Boulder. 
do we have any takers that Stanford can get a win at either of those two games? Yeah, I think uh, against Boulder, if I'm not mistaken, they're they're bottom three or bottom four in the conference. Um, so hopefully, um, you know that that can be a win for them. Uh, Utah is, is is in the top four, um, and so that one might be a little more difficult. But hey, you know they have the momentum right now, four in a row. Hopefully, they can keep it going. Yeah, Grant, you know this team coming in with what has to be the most confidence that they've had the entire year. Are you giving them a shot in against Utah this week? I'm more interested in seeing just if they can keep keep their swagger about them and not just get demoralized by a good team, so they can kind of carry this momentum they have through the next three, four games instead of just thinking about and, and, and putting all their coins on this one. Yeah, no, absolutely. To you, Zach, a five point loss against the Utes earlier in the season. That was a game where we were within two in the second half. Is this is this a game we can sneak out of Utah with a win? Am I, I I sound crazy when I say this, but every game is winnable. Every game is winnable. It's about how you come out early. Even UCLA, I think we went down twenty three to zero, something like that, to them. But hey, second half was a completely different story. Maybe they weren't trying, obviously, but. Um, Utah, we hung around there, um, despite the fact that we had a slow start. So I'm going to give the Utah Utes this one for sure. But if we can come out with aggression and, like Grant said, maintain that swagger, continue with the momentum carrying over from game to game, there's no reason you can't walk away with a win in that one. But Colorado, I expect to win, and it, it genuinely would be a disappointment if they don't. This is a team that's coming off a eight-point loss against Oregon State who's been absolutely terrible in conference play before that lost to Oregon and then before that lost or barely beat Washington State. We'll see how they fare this Thursday against Cal before we play them. It might be an indicator of what's to come, but Colorado should be an easy win. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll remain the optimistic voice in studio. We're on the drive for five, folks. Hop on the train. <laughs> Or get out the way, because we are coming to save Gerard Haas's job, and that train is going through Utah this week. I think the, the end of that first game showed that Stanford can compete. We were down for basically the whole first half. We come back, make it a close game, and, you know, almost get it done, but the way this team is playing would love for them to shock the world. Jumping in our last two minutes to the women's team, which is a perennial success. Obviously, nothing new this year. Recently, we saw Haley Jones and Cameron Brink grace the cover of Slam, one of the biggest magazines in the sporting world and especially in basketball. Grizane, what do you think this team should be prioritizing in their last uh, 8 to 10 games of Pac-12 play? Yeah, I mean, first of all, shout out to them. They have been killing it this year, just absolutely balling. Cameron Brink on Sunday with the triple-double points, rebounds, and blocks. Are you serious? Yeah, 10 blocks, absolutely crazy. Yeah, I mean, she's been killing it, Haley's been killing it, and then they have, you know, a good supporting cast as well. Um, And so I think, you know, you know, just running their offense through those two, continuing to get to the basket, holding it down on the defensive side, um, and, you know, the, the, the sort of, you know, pieces around them continue to do what they do. Um, you know, hopefully they can end the season with just those two losses against, 
you know, number one South Carolina, and I think it was unranked USC. Right. Um, you know, and go into into the, uh, the tournament as a high seed, and and you know, hopefully we see them as national champions again. Yeah. No. Absolutely. An absolute wonderful show this week. A huge thanks to all three of our guests, especially to you two for sticking around a little bit longer. My name has been Jacob Nidig. It's been wonderful, as mentioned. I'm going to kick it over to Zach to close us on on out, but thanks once again to all the listeners. There you have it, folks. A fun episode. We talked football. We talked hoops on the farm. And that's going to do it for the Sports Zoo this week. You're listening to KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM. We'll catch you next week.